This is John Michael Chambers, the creator and founder of American Media Periscope. Family, finances, faith, and freedom are four things that most of us would do almost anything to protect. At American Media Periscope, we trust the team at Sovereign Advisors with financial advice. With over 27 years of experience, a team that believes in people over profit and shares our views that family, finances, faith, and freedom need to be protected can help you protect your finances from erosion due to governmental policies that are out of our control. What is in our control? Our own decision to act or to not act. At American Media Periscope, we encourage you to act. Action changes things. Call Sovereign Advisors today, ask for Dr. Kirk Elliott, and start working with a team that will help you protect your retirement assets while sharing your desire to protect family, faith, and freedom. Call them today at 720-605-3900 and tell them John Michael Chambers sent you. Remember, freedom, it's up to us. All right. Welcome to the Sean Morgan Report. I'm your host, Sean Morgan, and we are here every single Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. And I'm here with my co-hosts, Paul Ferber and Jim Cutler. And Paul is based in South Africa, in Johannesburg, and recently they've had some some riots and unrest in several parts of South Africa. So, uh, Paul, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what's going on there? Hi, Sean. Great to be with you again. Yeah, it's it's been quite frightening. Um, the just to give you a bit of background, the former president Jacob Zuma was um, he was convicted by the Constitutional Court, actually the highest court of the land, for contempt because he refused to appear in front of um, a commission that's running to investigate ANC corruption in uh, all levels of government, which is, it's been massive. Um, it's called the Zondo Commission. And so the head of the electricity utility has been grilled and various other you know, MPs and whatever. And President Zuma has been um, delaying and obfuscating as much as possible. And finally, he was sentenced to 15 months for refusing to appear before this commission. Um, now, a whole lot of us, well, pretty much, I thought everyone from Barney the Dinosaur upwards could tell that this is going to cause trouble, where you put a, um, a former president who ha who is a Zulu, because this whole thing is tribal. Um, when you put him in jail, then... There's going to be a whole lot of people who are not happy. And sure enough, you know, we had mass unrest, five or six days of it so far. And it was on a scale that I've never seen before in this country, really. The, you know, Durban is the entire distribution network of the province that Durban is in, which is uh, Kwazulu Natal, is gone. It's been burned to the ground. There's Billions of dollars of damage have been done. Um, there are no distribution warehouses left in the province. They've all been burned and looted. Um, but Paul, Paul, is that what yeah. is that organic? Is that what 
angry people do target infrastructure? Mm, yes and no. I believe, yeah, this this smells, this feels to me as though it was all carefully orchestrated. Funnily enough, we had a similar, much smaller scale riots in Johannesburg in late 2019, which most people don't remember now because, uh, you know, we've had uh, Corona Chan dominating the headlines since then. But we had a similar organized, um, you know, provocateurs going around a particular area of Johannesburg and just burning shops and causing mayhem. And this looks like much the same thing. My instant thought was, yeah, this is driven out of London it's to destabilize the country a little bit. But one source of mine says, no, actually, the Chinese are responsible. The, the thing is, it's easy, to, it's easy to kick off things like this in Africa. You just need someone to, um, you know, strike the match. And then there are tens of thousands of people who are at the, you know, on a we're on a powder keg from a very draconian lockdown. I mean, alcohol is banned. In May last year, they banned alcohol and smoking. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, for no reason at all, just to then just to piss people off. So you've got a lot of people who are very poor, um, who have literally no concept of the future, that actions have consequences. So, you know, the, the vast majority of the population here are present-oriented and group-oriented rather than, say, white people who are future-oriented and individual culture people. So it's, it's very easy to, you know, to, to get these riots going and then step back and watch the chaos. So that's been a problem. And, of course, it's complicated. This, this kind of riot does go back into our history as a country. For instance, in the 80s, uh, um, when the ANC was fighting apartheid, one of their policies was to make the country ungovernable, and uh, which black people did as far as they could. You know, they wouldn't shop at white shops. They, um, they would boycott places. They wouldn't pay for services. That you know, and that kind of thing, they would um, rebel against the apartheid government. That is still that attitude is still with us. I think very much so. A, a, a lot of a lot of black people still want you know they expect to services for free, so like water and electricity and sewerage. They expect it. You know, the state must provide it. So. I, you know, I think were people harking back to the past and trying to make the province ungovernable? Yeah, maybe. The, the interesting thing was how communities basically pulled together and defended themselves. Um, they, guys of all races, I mean, it was great to see. I've watched as many videos as I can. I had riots maybe a mile and a half away from me, but they were not nearly on the scale that we've had down in Kazuta uh, Natal. I'm up in Johannesburg, which is in uh, the Gauteng province on the Highfelt. And yeah, we've had riots, but it, they've mostly been, um, they've been stopped by the community very quickly. Whereas um, the Natal riots were just on a massive scale. The town of Peter Maritzburg, which is about 60 miles out, you know, up, up country from Durban. Um, I know it well. I had relatives who lived there for many years, and I used to stop by it on my way down to Natal on holiday or business. 
the, the entire central business district is gone. It's empty. It's, it, what hasn't been looted has been burned down. There's a massive shopping mall complex, which was built there a few years back, which is a few acres. That's just not there. It's gone. Um, you can see videos of just, the, it, it's worse than a war zone. There's just thousands and thousands of looted goods littering the streets, cars that have been burnt out, um, TVs everywhere, you know, because, you know, when people are hungry, obviously the first thing they go for is a television for some reason. Um, and, yeah, I've never seen devastation like that in this country. Yes, it's, it, it's happened on a small scale, like one shop or, you know, if there's been unrest or something like that. But to have entire, uh, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say that the entire distribution network um, of the province is has now been shut down. You know, I don't know if you know that great British um, TV movie from the 80s called Threats. It's a really terrifying look at a nuclear war. Highly recommended. Very, very scary and disturbing um, classic um, made in 1984, I think, by on a shoestring. And I can still remember it after all these years. The, the opening narrative says something like, in an urban society, everything connects. Um, you know, the needs of one are fulfilled by the skills of another. But the threads that tie us also make us vulnerable. And the province, you know, the province now has no food, no cash, no fuel, no distribution network. I mean, it doesn't have any pharmacies. They've all been looted. It, uh, something like 40,000 small businesses have just been trashed. It doesn't have any warehouses. It doesn't have, you know, there's no, there's no retail outlets. They've all been burned down. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be struggling with food, water, fuel, just the basics, you know, of any survival, food, water, energy, security. Um, they're coming under tremendous pressure right now. The police ran out of ammunition um, trying to defend, you know, trying to get involved, but they weren't, they weren't really, they weren't really much of a presence during these riots. The, the president should have immediately declared a state of emergency, imposed martial law, and sent the troops in there straight away. Instead, you know, his response has been to have two meetings a week instead of one. It's been pretty pathetic, which is why I instantly thought that this was. Basically, you know, it was engineered from outside to further destabilize us as a country. Very yeah, sad. yeah. It reminds me a lot of the the riots in the United States, which were very orchestrated by you know the typical suspects like George Soros with these organizations like Antifa and BLM and and the looting and the property damage. You know, also you know was done by these poor inner city people who were kind of like the, the match was lit like, cause they were, they were already primed in their desperation of their, their socioeconomic status to, to, mm -hmm. to join, join in with the pr provocateurs. Um, but I'm curious, I, I heard that the military was deployed in South Africa so, and that things are kind of cooling down now. Is that the case? Yes. Um, look, these things burn themselves out very quickly, um, violence of this kind. Just from a pragmatic point of view, um, you know, when you have no food and no water, you can only keep going for so long. <coughs> Excuse me. So 
Yes, the, it has calmed down quite a lot, also because communities have, have tightened up and have stopped rioters from going anywhere. I mean, it's got ugly. It's, it's, been, it's gotten very ugly in some places. The, um, the rioters decided that they were going to go off to an Indian township, um, an Indian community, you know, just to the northeast of Durban. Now, Durban has the largest um, community of Indians in the world outside of India itself. They have a long history in this country and they're, you know, obviously a very close-knit community and they're armed to the teeth. So, of course, you know, the rioters got their butts kicked because um, these guys don't, don't take any trouble from anyone. So there was, you know, it got really ugly there. Um, and there's a few videos going around of that, if you can see it. Because, yeah, I'm sorry, but if a huge crowd comes over the hill, these guys are going to open fire. They're not going to waste time, you know, asking questions. It makes so you wonder, that. now it's a humanitarian crisis, so it makes you wonder if the United Nations is going to want to step in. Well, and, and I was wondering that the other day. Is this an excuse to get the UN in for whatever reason? Um, yeah, and the UN can, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan. So <laughs> I don't know whether they'll come in and and try and, uh, you know, keep the peace or whether our troops are going to do it. Troops, we don't have that many troops. Um you know, we have, what, 77,000 personnel in the South African Defence Force, but I think only 8,000 of those are soldiers. Is that, that's not nearly enough for That sounds like an, enough, that, that sounds like um, as much as a couple of counties here, here in Pennsylvania. I mean, that's, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Jim, have you been following what's going on in Cuba? Maybe we can just, because this is not some kind of isolated unrest just in South Africa. You know, it used to be at the beginning of the pandemic, we had like kind of a, a great awakening going on in Hong Kong and, and France. Mm -hmm. And now now the type of unrest that we have, it seems to be more of the the deep state stuff like in South Africa and the riots in America. But I wonder in Cuba, is that organic? And, and it's just the timing is interesting or do you think the White House could be behind it? And the Biden, the Biden administration's response has been just really weird along the way. So, Jim, <laughs> Jim, can you can you comment on the on the Cuban Cuban crisis? Well, I, I think one can pretty much guarantee that Biden's response to anything is going to be weird and bizarre. So, no surprise there. But um, what I'd like to do is take a little bit of a step back, and as I'm listening to Paul. Um, I'm hearing things that are very similar from past events. One of the big ones um, are the, the color revolutions that George Soros is so famous for. And when we get to do the armchair quarterbacking afterwards, um, it usually turns out that these events are not as organic as they seem because um, in order to um, create the chaos, the perpetrators um, go about it subtly because they don't want to get held up as the perpetrators of the reasons why people are rioting. They want to really just push it off on the, on the people and get the world to look at them as just rioting for no really good reason and that now we need to bring in you know 
the big boys and quell the rioters and so on and so forth. So I look for those kinds of subtle goings on. And a good example that I like to use is prior to the U.S. Civil War, going back a little bit here, um, there was a massive bank in, uh, perpetrated um, price machination on cotton. And that created all kinds of problems for the growers in the South because now their cotton wasn't being bought by Britain because Britain was their biggest customer. So any uh, messing with that is going to have very big repercussions at the source, at the growers. So, um, you know, these are the kinds of things that, that go on. And then they get immediately sidelined. They get washed and, and nobody really talks about that anymore because that's the real nuts and bolts of the things. The, the perpetrators of all that wanted them to talk about race. It's always about race. And the reason for that is because that's pitting people against people. Color really means nothing. It's just about divide and conquer. So however they can do that, however they can get away with that, they're going to do that. And I thought, Paul, your comment on, on, of course, I could see people howling racism, but I think you have a point that culturally, some people are future-oriented, some people are past-oriented, some people are present-oriented. And the perpetrators understand that. You know, I, one thing we have to give them is they're smart and they understand behavioral psychology on the part of whole groups of people. So they're going to find a weakness and they're going to exploit that weakness. And mm. their solid goal being, we got to get these people fighting each other so that we can then get away with doing what we need to, what we want to do. So, yes, I think, uh, one, I look at timing. All of these things are happening simultaneously. I hate coincidences, and I know you guys hate them, too. And so, you know, that's something that immediately gets my attention. Oh, here's another event, seemingly unrelated, yet happening simultaneously with all this other stuff. So... Um, I'm quite sure, I'm speculating, but I'm quite sure that um, the same players are active right now. George Soros, um, you know, the Rockefellers, uh, the Rothschilds, anybody who's anybody who owns anything is, is sees this as being in their best interest. So they're going to throw their hat into the ring and say, yeah, I'm in. What do I need to do to help out? And so... Um, the more we can do uh, to talk about that aspect of the goings on, because, you know, we could get into the weeds in talking about Cuba, talking about South Africa, talking about France and get nowhere, because basically that's what they want us to do. They want us to get into the nitty gritty of these people versus people events and never take the big step back and look at the big picture. So I think, you know, it's always important for us to try to do that and to see these as related events, unless we're really convinced uh, otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. If I can just jump in there quickly, Jim, that is absolutely right. Already we're seeing in South Africa, 
that the people are now like and the media are now questioning whether this is a is this a breakaway branch of the ruling party who has loyalty to Jacob Zuma versus the rest you know versus the current president Cyril Ramaphosa who's not a Zulu and I, I I look at it and I think guys you're wasting your time these guys are all paid and controlled by outsiders and they are presenting us with just a narrative which is nonsense um this is organized it's got you know like you say we get lost in the weeds and all our political commentators get lost in the weeds and yeah it's frustrating to watch whereas yep. um you know my wife who I've been educating for many years now um comes home and, and and says yeah i see that they've decided to orchestrate the riots in natal <laughs> so you know she she can she can she can look at world events now and just see through all the nonsense that we get presented yep. with um yeah and you know the, the clarity that it affords you is it can be depressing but at least it's uh, you know it lets you look at world events properly like cuba like south africa like you know wherever there's unrest right, right. yeah there's a term for it it's called vectoring and they will mm-hmm. take you know a situation and they will put information out into the media you know and in other ways to make it seem like this particular concept or point of information is important and get everybody to focus on it it's like mm-hmm. a honey pot or a, a um, you know, one of those things on the internet where everybody starts focusing and gets involved with, and it's a complete sideline. It's a complete distraction from the core issue. Uh, mm. So, you know, I came to learn that term vectoring, and it's a very good term because it's very neutral, yet very encompassing. And it, you can really use it effectively to look at certain aspects of events and go, aha, that looks like a vectoring operation, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it, you, can, you can see how much pressure that puts us on to have to keep track of all this stuff and to avoid getting caught up in those little whirlpools here and there that everybody else is so happy to jump into. Yeah, the uh, the narrative that the mainstream media used for the George Floyd riots in America was very effective on the international scene. I was in Brazil at the time and all of my friends uh, would come up to me and say, it's too bad that America is such a racist country. Uh, and I would, uh, my response is just like, you guys have no on the ground experience of what it's like in America, where, where we have equal opportunity at all of the employers for all races and everything. And mm-hmm. in Brazil, it's a different story. And yet they in their mind, Brazil is, is this, you know, uh, has racial equality and America is the racist country. Uh, and so, you know, the, the racial narrative, a racial division narrative uh, is the same thing that's going to be pushed in South Africa because it's very effective to, to divide and conquer. Um, but besides that, um, if you were a billionaire oligarch and you, you're looking at a world map uh, or if you're a bad actor like China and you're looking at the world map and you're thinking, where can I get the most value for my, um, for my you know, different types of unconventional warfare, like, like infiltrating political parties and so forth? Uh, you'd probably look at South Africa and think, well, they have 
a lot of gold and a lot of diamonds and a lot of resources and so forth. And so I'm going to target South Africa before I target uh, some non-resource rich country in, in, you know, in Africa or whatever. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think that that's significant that, that, that the, the deep state or China or whoever is behind these things, they value those resources uh, in, in South Africa. I think that's, that's just like, you know, there's a reason why the United States in, invaded Iraq, <laughs> you know, and, and not some country that doesn't have any oil, for example. Um, but I just want to touch on Cuba because this could be uh, much like the riots uh, that happened in Iran a few years ago. This could be a white hat operation, uh, you know, th- this where there's already, an, you know, obviously an organic uh, base of people who are dissatisfied with a, with the fascist regime. Uh, but uh, then the White Hats, you know, use their technologies to 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 light, you know, light the match to, to that powder keg uh, for their own purposes. You know, and the, the purposes of the White Hats are to prove that communism is a failed experiment and that we can't go in that direction of socialism and communism. Uh, so uh, what are your thoughts on that, Paul? Cuba is interesting. I think it could be spontaneous. Um, people have just got the hell in and uh, they want change. But I think you're absolutely right that, um, you know, whenever you see um, whenever you see an uprising like that and it's in your favor, especially, you know, it's in the white hat's favor, I think, yeah, they're going to be in there helping as much as possible, you know, supplying intel and resources. Um, similar to how, when was it, about 18 months ago, um, Saudi Arabia was supplying intel and help to um, ordinary Iranians who want, still haven't thrown off the mullahs yet, but they will. Um, Iranians who are re- re- rebelling against, um, you know, their leaders. They were supplying money and weapons and, you know, all kinds of help. Um, I think, yeah, sometimes movements do need help from the outside um and yeah both good and bad um actors can get involved there i I don't know whether cuba is um whether cuba is genuine i hope so would be be nice for for them to be free because they've had a they've had a pretty desperate time for the last 60 years sorry i would agree with paul coming in you (laughs) should Uh, I would agree with Paul that um, this is clearly an opportunity for the White Hats. If it is, uh, if it was a staged situation by the Black Hats, um, it certainly may turn out to be a colossal mistake because it does appear to me to play well into the hands of the White Hats uh, because the whole narrative here, just listening to how um, the the you know people the puppets are responding in this country really is quite um, surprising and it's going to be heard by the American people of all stripes as a very perplexing response and so I see that as all beneficial to the White Hats and so I follow Cuba very closely as you all do uh, for that reason, because I think it's anybody's game down there. And this might be the time when uh, things really are going to change 
in a more permanent way. Uh, but look at look at all the um, the dark hat puppets who are calling for bombing and you know going using military force uh, in Cuba. So you can kind of get a flavor of um, what their strategy is compared to what the white hat strategy is. Yeah, and Paul, I found it really weird that the Biden administration first said the people in Cuba are so upset because they're not getting enough vaccines. And then a couple of days later, they said, communism is a failed experiment. Like, that's a weird switch, isn't it, Paul? Like, how do you analyze that? I, I think they're, they're in a dilemma. They, you know, they can't, you can't push the, you can't push communism on the people of the United States, you know, and critical race theory. And then say, look at Cuba, which quite obviously wants to free itself from communism. And I, yeah, I think they, they realized very quickly that whatever they say was going to be wrong because yeah, whatever they say is going to be wrong. Cuba, <laughs> Cuba, I think is genuinely after, um, genuinely after f- freedom. Um, they've, they've had enough. And because some people would say, Paul, that the white hats are, are, are controlling Joe Biden's administration as a, is with him as a puppet and that they're telling him to say this stupid propaganda like they want more vaccines and then they're telling them okay now tell them communism's bad so it's like this cognitive dissonance for the liberal supporters of the Biden administration i wouldn't go so i wouldn't go so far as to say that white hats are controlling joe biden per se or the joe biden administration i think the joe biden administration still thinks it's in charge um, but I think nobody needs to nobody needs to tell them what to say to make them look stupid. They, they do <laughs> yeah. a superb job of that by themselves. Um, you know the chopping and changing, and the um, you know just the the nonsensical statements on on various things. I mean, I know we're going to get into it just now, but you know I saw a funny meme this morning that. Joe Biden has done more campaigning against election audits than he did in the whole of last year's campaign, <laughs> which is quite true. And it's ridiculous that, you know, he's, he's traveled more on the campaign trail, you know, on the anti-audit trail than he ever did on the campaign trail, which is just crazy if you think about it. Right. Yeah, it does get confusing to, to find out, uh, you know, because he's obviously a puppet. I just wonder who's pulling the strings and making him say these stupid things, um, you know. But but hey, it could really be that uh, whoever it's, is it's pulling probably, the strings, probably Barry they're not. And it's Noros and yeah, it's probably the usual suspects, you know. Yeah, Soros but maybe, maybe they're not they're not as smooth as they were during the Obama administration when people were more gullible uh, and they, they had a better puppet at that time. Um, so we're running out of time. Uh, you know, Jim, is there anything you want to say about the initial audit results from Arizona? Well, I mean, um, it, it's, there's an inexorable trend that we're all seeing where, uh, the legitimacy of what is happening in uh, Maricopa County in Arizona, um, is just continuing to gain strength. And there seems to be no slowing of that. So that's very heartening, although things can happen quickly in either direction. But um, the fact that uh, you can 
you can taste the panic uh, on the part of, uh, you know, the current administration. And even weird things are happening. Like um, there's uh, um, interviews and stories being done on people who have worked for Kamala Harris in her previous roles as, as attorney general, state attorney general and DA and, and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of, of taking out of the foundations underneath these people. Mm. Again, that's a strategy and a, that is being done on purpose. So uh, the timing here is interesting. Um, and it just, to me, underscores the power of these audits. And it, it was clear from the get-go that the moment they started doing these audits in earnest, man, the blowback just went to 11. And so we all knew, okay, this is going to be interesting. This is going to be a fight because they're clearly demonstrating that they see these audits as an existential threat a big existential threat. And whenever people <laughs> have an existential threat hanging over them, uh, you know, they go, um, they go ballistic. So um, I think keep, keep your eyes on this one thing and you won't be disappointed. It's going to happen. It's going to probably happen big. And, uh, and of course the reactions and the, the attempts to stop it are going to be even bigger. So I, I would say it looks to me like the end game. Uh, I may be a bit ahead of myself on that, but um, that is the power that this process has on the minds of the American people. And after all, that is the primary battleground. Yes. Uh, yeah, I do think that this the, the audits, in not just in Arizona, but possibly the ones that are being attempted in Pennsylvania, that this is the end game. You know, once once those audits that can overturn the election happen and we have, you know, forensic proof, which is evidence that can be presented in a court of law, then these courts are going to have to make a decision, whether that decision is to make a decision or refuse to make a decision. Either way, it, it forces the American people to look straight at the problem and they're going to make, like you said, their own decision in their mind. And that's, that is the most important thing. And if the American people believe that not only did, uh, you know, these state secretaries of states and governors and, uh, and the vice president and all these people commit treason, but also the Supreme court is refusing to, to rule on it. Well, then there's a, there's a, a very, um, very ripe situation for perhaps military intervention or something, because uh, I don't know what the American people think they can do if the Supreme Court's not going to handle this. You know, so right. so so yeah, this is the end game. It's it's this election is what's all about, uh, and I think I think it's going to get overturned. I think we're going to have a revote, and I think Donald Trump's going to win again with a new new vice president. But I could be wrong on that. There there could be all kinds of uh, you know surprises in the last the the last you know quarter of the game. Uh, but uh, we'll just keep an eye on this. It's amazing. The results are already proving that the disparity with the, the mail-in ballots and, and the voter rolls and all of these things, uh, they're already enough, you know, to, to overturn the election. So, so even though this is just like a little sneak peek, this is just a little preliminary thing. 
a lot more is going to come out, but it yeah. proves that someone accessed those, those machines. So, yeah. um, you know, th- there's just so many, so much proof of the fraud now. And, and we can say that now before it was like, well, we're waiting on the proof of the fraud. It's like, no, it's here now. And now yeah. all of the uh, alternative media and the conservative media can put that out there in the public consciousness as facts. They're, they're forensic facts that will be uh, presented as evidence in the court of law and so forth. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys for, for joining me today. Thanks, Paul, for telling us what's going on in your home country. And we're going to keep our eye on Cuba as things unfold there and keep our eye on Arizona and Pennsylvania. And we'll give you guys an update next Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern on AmericanMediaPeriscope.net. And don't forget to support our sponsor, Sovereign Advisors. They're in, there's a link in the description below. You can get a free consultation with Dr. Kirk Elliott, PhD economist, to talk about your financial future and world with precious metals and how they can help you. So check out that link in the description below and we'll see you next week. Same time. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of MyPillow. Thanks to your support, you've helped make MyPillow become one of the fastest growing companies in America. Over the last 12 years, you've helped MyPillow create thousands of jobs right here in the USA. When I got MyPillow, I'm asleep almost immediately. I stay asleep at night and I wake up more well-rested in the morning. That's why I invented MyPillow. My patented fill adjusts to your exact individual needs and helps keep your neck supported and aligned. I'm interrupting this commercial right now. Retailers have canceled my pillow. And to thank you for your support, I'm going to pass the savings directly on to you. Go to MyPillow.com right now to get deep discounts on all my pillow products. For example, you can get my premium my pillows regularly $69.98, now just $29.98, the lowest price ever. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com.